بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم نحمد نسلی اللہ رسول الکریم اما بات الحمد للہ جنائٹ از دا فورتھ آف فیبروری ان دا ایئر ٹو تھاؤزینڈ اینڈ ٹوینٹی فور الحمد the illustrious and exalted life of the eminent companion, Sayyidina Amr ibn al-As radiyallahu. And I've mentioned a few of his blessed family members, and the last I mentioned was his second wife, Sayyida Umm Kulthum bint Uqbah radiyallahu. And just by way of recap, she was the sister of Amir al-Mu'mineen, Sayyidina Uthman radiyallahu. And she was an early Muslimah, who eventually managed to migrate in the year of Hudaybiyah. So just to add a few things with regards to this noble woman. So Hafiz Zahabi, rahmatullahi he said in his seer, when Sayyida Umm Kulthum bint Uqba radiyallahu migrated to Al-Madinah, she was pursued by her two brothers, Sayyidina Walid and Sayyida, Sayyidina Imara radiyallahu who were pagans at the time. When her brothers arrived shortly after Sayyidina Umm Kulthum radiyallahu, they went to Rasulullah and said, Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, O Muhammad, Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, fulfill the condition. This is because the condition of the Treaty of Hudaybiyah was that whoever migrated to Al-Madinah without the permission of their guardian would be returned. So stop in the report. So she's migrated. And like I mentioned, she was detained. When she migrated, two of her brothers came to take her back. So why on earth would the Muslims hand a Muslim back, uh, the, uh, the Muslims hand this noble woman back? And the response is, in the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, that was one of the clauses. So when the treaty was signed, they had to hand them back. The two brothers who came were called Walid and Imala. They became Sahaba later on. But at the time, they were unbelievers. So when they came, it was fulfilled the condition. Sayyida Umm Kulthum radiyallahu she said, Ya Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, will you return me to the unbelievers so that they may put me to trial regarding my religion and I might not have the strength to endure. Indeed, the women are weak as you know. So what did she say? She said, I suffered so much, Ya Rasulullah, trying to migrate. I managed to migrate after so many years If you now let me go back, this may be a test too hard for me to bear. And women are weak. When she said this, Allah the Almighty revealed the following verse. In Surah Al-Muntahina, Surah 60, verse 10 and 11. Audhu Billahi Mahi Shaitan Rajeem. Ya ayyuhal ladhina amanu idha jaakumul mu'minatu muhajiratin famtahinu hunna اللہ اعلم بیمانی She was thus not returned.
So this is recorded also in Ibn Sa'ad and Istabaqat, volume 8, page 162 of the English translation in the chapter on the Qureshi women, their allies, their clients, and foreign women. So look at their status. When she put her plea before Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa Rasulullah didn't even answer. Allah the Almighty answered on her behalf. And what did, what did he subhanahu wa ta'ala command? Because when they comes to you believing women, I they finally migrate. Test them. Test whether they have faith. Why? Because they just might be fleeing for the sake of wanting to leave their husbands. Test them whether they've got iman. If you ascertain they are believers, do not send them back to the unbelievers. She was thus not returned. Subhanallah, this was a unique honor for Sayyidah Umm Kulthum bint Uqbar for Hafiz ibn Sa'ad. He said, We do not know of any Qureshi woman who left her parents as a Muslim to migrate to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, except for Sayyidah Umm Kulthum bint Uqbar. This is recorded in Ibn Sa'ad and Istabaqat, volume 8, page 162 of the English translation in the chapter on the Qureshi women, their allies, their clients, and foreign women. So think about that. How many believing female companions were there? There were many. Ibn Sa'ad, with his deep knowledge of the history, he goes, I can't think of any. Except this one who left her parents to migrate to Allah Ta'ala and his messenger, because there's no other woman who did that. I by herself, except Umm Kulthum bint Utbah. <laughs> so think about how brave was she to travel over 300 miles by herself. Don't forget, in those days it was dangerous. So not forgetting, she knew she'd be pursued. <laughs> but that's her honor. So now, just to add about this verse. When this holy verse was revealed, Surah 60, verse 10, Mujahid, he explained, he quoted this verse, this part of the verse. Test them. Means, Ask them why they have migrated. If they migrated due to their anger with their husbands or for any other reason and you realize they have not embraced the true faith, send them back to their husbands. This is recorded in Ibn Jarid and Ibn Kathir in their respective tafsirs. So this is the command. Because obviously there could be a loophole here. Some of them might think this is an excellent opportunity to get rid of my, get rid of my husband. So there's no... The, Hijrah isn't for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that is the test. And also, the holy verse goes on to instruct that the dowries of the unbelieving husbands be returned. Aye, to nullify their marriages. Then the believing migrant women, after their waiting period, would then be free to remarry. So what happens? If a woman migrates, she's got an unbelieving husband, she's migrated, the dowry has to be given back. When the dowry is given back, she then has to go through uh, a waiting period, idda, and then she can marry again. So it was kind of a divorce as well at the same time. A, a, a unique way of separating the husband and wife. So the two brothers, Sayyidina Al-Walid ibn Uqbah, soon thereafter embraced Islam on the day of the conquest of Makkah, together with Sayyidina Ammara ibn Uqbah, who was also laid in embracing Islam. Look how strange. The two brothers who were sent, they became companions. So not she had embraced Islam well before her, before her brothers. And that's also strange. Normally the female followed the men. She actually was one of the earliest ones. So all of these three were the brothers and sisters of Uthman. 
Sayyidina Al-Walid was the brother of Uthman. Sayyidina Ammala was the brother of Uthman. And of course, Sayyidina Umm Kulthum, radiyallahu ta'ala anhu. And they all, alhamdulillah, all his brothers and sisters embraced Islam. So now the mother, with regards to Sayyida Umm Kulthum's venerable mother, Sayyida, Sayyida Arwa, who is the mother-in-law of Amr, Hafiz ibn Sa'ad said, Sayyida Arwa bin Qurez embraced Islam and emigrated to Al-Madina after her daughter, Sayyida Umm Kulthum bin Uqba. Ibn Abi Mu'it, Uthman's half-sister, who was also the full sister of Walid ibn Uqba, and gave allegiance to Rasulullah She remained in Al-Madina until she eventually passed away during the Khalifat of no other than her venerable son, Sayyidina Uthman ibn Affan. This is recorded in Ibn Sa'ad and Istabakat, volume 8, page 161 of the English translation in the chapter on the Qurayshi women, their allies, their clients, and foreign women. So, who's Arwa bin Qurais? Arwa bin Qurais is the cousin of Rasulullah, which I mentioned yesterday. Her mother is Al-Baida, the twin sister of the Prophet's father, Abdullah. So, this blessed woman, the first cousin of Rasulullah, she embraced Islam and she migrated after her daughter. So, we're interesting. After her daughter migrated, she then followed. And... She gave allegiance to the Prophet So how pleased must the Prophet have been that his cousin was now given pledge as well. And she remained in Al-Madina until whose Khalifat? Her son, Uthman. And she passed away in Uthman's Khalifat. So how many years was she in Al-Madina? She was in Al-Madina for around 25 years. And she passed away during her son's Khilafat. So now, when she passed away, there's a few reports. In Ibn Sa'ad in his Tabakat, volume 8, page 161 to 2 of the English translation, in the chapter on the Qurayshi women, their allies, their clients, and foreign women, Abdullah ibn Hanzalah, rahmatullah, he said, We were there when the mother of Uthman ibn Affan died. We buried her in Al-Baqi. I heard Amir al-Mu'mineen later say in prostration, O oh Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, have mercy upon my mother. O oh Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, forgive my mother. Mm. This was during his khilafat. Mm. So, she was buried in Jannat al-Baqi, which is a tremendous honor. The Prophet will definitely intercede for those with Iman who die and buried in Al-Madina. And Uthman, his du'a is going to get answered probably any time. Well, he's in prostration. The closest to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he's asking for two things. Mercy and forgiveness for his mother. Mm. Similarly, Isa ibn Talha, rahmatullah, he said, I saw Amir al-Mu'mineen Sayyidina Uthman ibn Affan carrying the bed of his mother between the two pillars from the house of Ghutesh until he put her down at the place of the funeral press. After she was buried, I saw him standing at her grave making supplications for her. This is in Ibn Sa'ad in his Tabakat, volume 8, page 162 of the English translation in the chapter on the Qurayshi women, their allies, their clients, and foreign women. So, trying to picture the scene. How touching a scene it must have been. Why? For the venerable Amir al-Mu'mineen, radiyallahu, was now in his late 70s. Whilst his venerable mother, the cousin of Rasulullah, sallallahu alayhi wa had left the troubles of this mortal world in her early 90s. 
So Uthman was honored because not many sons live with their mother until their 70s. Yeah. You know, if to hazard a guess, what's an average age you think that a son has with his mother? Probably about 40. After that, you know, you're, you're fortunate, 50, 60, you're even, you're very fortunate. Uthman went into his 70s. So think about that, Allah Ta'ala honored him. But he was now a middle mu'minin. He was getting old himself, certainly an old man. He carried his mother, imagine, even though he was old. I too, uh, the place where she's going to be buried. And then he stood at her grave, making du'a for her. So where did he make du'a for her? At her grave and also in sujood. That was touching. Sayyidina Uthman, he would weep at the graves. When they talked about death, he would weep. So somebody questioned him. Because when you talk about paradise, apparently it doesn't affect you. You talk about hell, apparently it doesn't affect you. When you talk about the, uh, the grave, because you shed tears. So Hazrat Uthman famously said that the Allah, this is the first maqam station of the next world. If you are successful there, you are certainly successful. If you are unsuccessful there, you are unsuccessful. This is intimidly authentic. So think about it. He would weep at any grave. So how much do you think he wept at his grave of his mother? The Allah. And not forgetting, a few short years later, he himself passed away. But he was in his 70s. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be well pleased with her and her majestic son and forgive us all for their venerable sake. Amen. So now let's go back to the, her daughter. With regards to Sayyidah Umm Qulthum bin Uqbah radiyallahu Hafiz Zahabi said in his seer, Sayyidah Umm Qulthum did not have a husband in Makkah. Thus Sayyidina Zaid ibn Haritha married her then he divorced her. Then Abdul Rahman ibn Auf married her. She gave birth to their children, Ibrahim and Humid. Sayyidina Abdul Rahman ibn Auf passed away whilst married to her. Next she married Sayyidina Amr ibn Al-As. And she passed away whilst married to him. She passed away during the Khalifat of Sayyidina Ali. So let's look at this. So she was in Mecca, like I mentioned, she's embraced Islam. She's not married. The report says, her here it says, her first husband was Zayd ibn Haritha. So Zayd ibn Haritha was that great companion who was the only one mentioned by name in the Quran. In Surah Ahzab, Allah mentions him by name. So he's a very, very high companion. That was her first husband. Secondly, he then divorced her. I'm going to explain this in a bit, inshallah. Who was the second husband? Sayyid al Muslimi, the chief of the Muslims, i.e., one of the ten promised paradise. Abdul Rahman ibn Awf, She was blessed with two children from that heavenly man. Her two children were Ibrahim and Humayd. When he passed away, now it was interesting. When did Abdul Rahman ibn Awf pass away to eternal glory? Who's Khalifa? Anybody know? No. He passed away in Uthman's Khalifah. So what's interesting? Abdul Rahman ibn Auf, he is the brother-in-law of who? Uthman. This is how. But he passed away. His sister's now left a widow again. In Uthman's Khalifah, 
Who did she now marry? The fox of the Arabs. Sayyidina Amr ibn al-As. That was her last husband. And then she passed away in Ali's Khalifa. So that's very important to highlight who was her last husband. Amr ibn al-As. But this is one account. Ibn Sa'ad, his is slightly different. In Ibn Sa'ad in his Tabaqat, volume 8, page 163 of the English translation in the chapter on the Qureshi women, their allies, their clients and foreign women. Hafiz Ibn Sa'ad, he said, Rahmatullah when she came to Al-Madinah, she married Sayyidina Zayd ibn Al-Haritha Al-Qalbi, and she bore him children. He was martyred on the day of Mu'tah, and then she married Zubair ibn al-Awwam. So there's two differences here. She was married to Zayd ibn al-Haritha, that's confirmed. She had children from him, that's confirmed. There's no mention of divorce. He was martyred on the day of Mu'tah. doesn't mention anything about divorce. And then she married Zubair. Second difference. Didn't she marry Abdul Rahman ibn Awf? Well, here it mentions Zubair. Continue. He had some harshness towards women. And she thus had a disliking for him. Hence she requested to separate. He refused until he divorced her unwittingly. So now what's happening? A woman cannot divorce the husband. But she can separate. It's called khulla. Right? But she has to be careful. A woman can separate if there's an Islamic reason. The warning is if she does it for anything else, she won't smell the fragrance of paradise. So it's not a divorce, it's a separation. So Sayyidah Umm Kulthum bin Uqbar radiyallahu she asked Zubair to separate. He goes, no. But the divorce took place unwittingly. Then the Ibn Sa'ad explains. How this came about is that once she pestered him whilst he was performing wudu to the salat and irritated, he divorced her with a single divorce. So he's doing wudu. And she goes, separate me. You know, why don't you let me go? Just separate. So she, he uttered one talaq. He goes, talaq. But he has to say it three times. But there's a period for it to be said. He said it once. Then, I, because she was heavily pregnant at the time, she gave birth shortly thereafter. One of his family then met Zubair and informed him that she had given birth. He said, she tricked me. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala trick her. I'm going to explain this. Zubair then went to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And mentioned that to him. And he said, The book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has decided regarding her position. Thus you must now propose to her again. He responded, she will never come back to me. Aye, thus the divorce was finalized. So what happened? The problem is we don't know how to divorce. So this narration needs clarification. The husband utters the divorce when she is pure that is the sunnah sunnah divorce if she's having a menstrual cycle it is bid'ah to utter the divorce she needs to be pure married then you utter a divorce 
When do you utter the next divorce? When she's purified again in the next cycle. So she's pure. Couple of weeks. She has a menstrual cycle. A week passes. She has a bath. Then the husband utters the second divorce. This is the procedure. Why? Because in anger you might divorce and you don't intend to divorce. This is why that's there. However, if you utter one divorce in the period of purity, the husband, if she goes into the next period of purity and he's not taken her back, the divorce takes place. He has to take her back. Or she gives birth. If she gives birth, that's also a separation. He's got to take her back before she's given birth. Have you understood? So when he uttered the divorce, she was heavily pregnant. So he was thinking, when she's pure, no natural thing, and he was doing voodoo, so he, you know, he must have forgot she was pregnant. That's why she was questioning him. She gave birth very quickly. So how long after that pronouncement? Don't know, maybe a day, two days. Immediately the separation is taking place. So then, Zubair, look what he said, she tricked me. May Allah trick her, meaning, you know, she was waiting for my mind to be on something else and I didn't realize. But Zubair then went to the Prophet and what did the Prophet say? He goes, the Quran is final. He goes, you can take her back, but you have to propose to her again. Why? Because after one divorce, nobody can, the first husband, he has to propose, do the full niqah again, as they say. He said, she's never coming back to me. She wanted to separate. So, according to this report, who was her second husband? Zubair. It is further related. Then she married Abdul Rahman ibn Auf. And bore him Ibrahim and Humayr, third husband. Abdul Rahman then passed away while she was married to him. She thereupon married Sayyidina Amr ibn al-As, and she passed away whilst married to him. This is in Ibn Sa'ad in Istabakat, volume 8, page 161 of the English translation, in the chapter on the Qureshi women, their allies, their clients, and foreign women. So, who were her husbands? Her first husband was Zayd ibn al-Haritha. Did he divorce her? Or did he get martyred and she was widowed? There's ikhtilaf. But she was certainly married to him first. Her second husband was either Zubair or Abdul Rahman ibn Uf. If it was Zubair, a separation took place due to the divorce and she gave birth. Her third husband was Abdul Rahman ibn Auf, or the second. She brought two children to him. And then finally she married Amr ibn al-As, and she passed away before him. So, how noble a woman is she? She's married the only companion mentioned by name in the Quran. Then she married Sayyidil, uh, the disciple, the special disciple of Rasulullah, the Hawari'i, Zubair, then she marries Sayyid al-Muslimi, the chief of the Muslims, then she marries the folks of the Arabs. Was that by coincidence? Of course not. Why were these men rushing to marry her? 
because they knew she was very noble in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It was indeed no other than our beloved messenger himself, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, who arranged the marriage of Umm Kultum bint Utbar radiyallahu to Abdul Rahman ibn Awf. This is interesting. So Abdul Rahman ibn Awf was either first, second or third, there's ikhtilaf. But she was definitely married to him. But this marriage was arranged by Rasulullah. Where does it say it? Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. In Hakim in his Mustadrak 3-350, Abu Nu'im in his Ma'rifatul Sahaba 5-195, Al-Haytami in Majma' Az-Zawaid number 14,893. Sayyidah Busra bint Safwan she relates. Rasulullah called upon us whilst I was combing the hair of Aisha. He thereupon asked, O Busra, who is proposing to Umm Kulthu? Mm-hmm. Meaning, Zaid's passed on or a divorce has taken place. Who's proposing to her now? Mm-hmm. I replied, so and so and Abdul Rahman ibn Auf, two suitors. She didn't mention the first, she mentioned the second, Abdul Rahman ibn Auf. Rasulullah thereupon said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, then why not marry her to Abdul Rahman ibn Auf? For he is Sayyid al-Muslimin, the chief of the Muslims, and he is of their leaders. I responded, Ya Rasulullah, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Umm Kulthum radiyallahu does not like to marry someone who already has a wife. Or does she like to ask Abdul Rahman to divorce his wife, for she is her cousin. So look how intelligent Bushra was. Busra knew that she was more desiring the other man. Why? Because Abdul Rahman ibn Auf already married. And she doesn't like to be a second wife. The other option is she could ask Abdul Rahman to divorce. But that's below her dignity. Upon this, Rasulullah repeated his suggestion. And he added, If she marries him, she will certainly be happy. She will rejoice. I thus returned and informed Uncle Thum, She then immediately called Abdul Rahman ibn Auf and I, her own relative, Khalid ibn Sa'id ibn al As, and her brother Uthman ibn Affan. These two venerable gentlemen married her to Abdul Rahman ibn Auf. So look at Tuchi. How was the marriage arranged with either her second or third husband? It was Rasulullah. She didn't want to marry him. So now why is that important? Because some people think there's a problem here. A woman in, a woman shouldn't mind being a second wife. Have you heard that? You know, it's a sharia. And they come, you know, come out with the holy or thou attitude. Then he goes, well, who are you compared to Um Kulthu? And then they go, I don't know which which you You have to explain. Um Kulthum bint Uqba, she didn't want to be a second wife. If there was anything wrong with that, Rasulullah would have corrected that. It's, a, it's in the nature of women to only have one husband, to be happy with you know her husband, not to share him with another wife. The Prophet didn't say anything about that. But he said he is Sayyid al-Muslimin. He is the chief of the... Now think about that. Who's called him? The chief of the Muslims. It's not like some you know, committee of scholars, right? And the people who know him. It's revelation because he is the chief of the Muslims. Because he is a leader. 
Then she got married. But a woman can't marry herself. She needs to be given away. So who did she appoint? Her brother, Uthman, and her cousin, Abdul Rahman ibn, sorry, Khalid ibn Sa'id ibn al-As. And then the marriage took place. So now, what's interesting to finish? Umar did not know that that was his title. So Umar didn't know, radiyallahu, that Abdul Rahman ibn Awf was called Sayyid al-Muslimin. So what happened? Abdul Rahman ibn Mujamma ibn Haritha, rahmatullah alayhi, he said, Sayyidina Umar radiyallahu once asked Sayyida Um Kulthum bint Utba radiyallahu, her wife of Abdul Rahman ibn Awf, radiyallahu, is it true that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa had said to you that you should marry Abdul Rahman ibn Awf, who was Sayyid al-Muslimin. Is that true? She answered, certainly. <laughs> so look how interesting. Umar what did the Prophet call it? Yeah. This is like you say, it's too good to be true. Sayyid al-Muslimin, the chief of the Muslims. So she, he went to the wife, he had to ask. He goes, did Rasulullah call your husband Sayyid al-Muslimin? She goes, yes. Where is this recorded? This is recorded in Ibn Manda, Ibn Asakir in his tarikh, Imam Qurtubi in his Qam al-Hirsi, the al-Zuhdi wa al-Qana'a, the secrets of asceticism, page 50 of the English translation, Ma'arifur al-Hadith, volume 4, page 454 of the New English translation. Now why is that interesting? Not many Muslims know that. If somebody asks you, what is, give me a virtue of Abdul Rahman ibn Awf, we've reached a stage where we don't even know who he is, but, Alhamdulillah, anybody with a little bit of knowledge of Islam will say, oh, he's one of the ten. How many would say, he's Sayyid al-Muslimi? And even if you say that, they'll say, Amir al-Mu'minin? No, no, I didn't say Amir al-Mu'minin. I said, Sayyid al-Muslimin. Chief of the Muslims. He goes, who called him that? He goes, Rasulullah. Think about that. If you didn't know anything about that, but except that, you're thinking, he's definitely a Sayyid of the Muslims. Those our beloved Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam's blessed words, as is inevitable, came true. For she remained happily married with Abdul Rahman ibn Awf, was blessed with children, and upon his passing was left with a handsome amount of wealth. Don't forget, was Abdul Rahman ibn Awf wealthy? He was very wealthy. So she became basically one of the richest women when she widowed, when, when he passed away. Thus, it was an immense honor for Sayyidina Amr ibn al-As to have eventually married such a most dignified and noble woman during her brother Uthman's Khalifat and with whom she eventually passed away to eternal glory a few short years later during the Khalifat of Ali. Now why is this interesting? Because there's a direct hadith where the Prophet he said, the woman, the wife, will be with her last husband in paradise. The wife will be with her last husband in paradise. This is the meaning of the hadith, authentic hadith. Now, what does that mean? It means that if she's been married a few times, and let's say all her husbands are destined for paradise, she will not go with the first husband. She will not go with the second. She will enter paradise with the last. So who will this noble woman enter paradise with? Amr ibn al-As. Now think about that. He's not the greatest of the four. 
Zayd ibn al-Harith is far greater. He's one of the earliest companions. You know, Sabiqoon um, al-Awwal, he's nowhere near greater than Zubair, one of the ten, or oh, Abdul Rahman ibn Awf. So why is Allah Talal on that? That's interesting. Now, why is that the dominant view? Because who or which noble women were forbidden to marry after the death of their husband? Our mothers. Why were they forbidden to marry? The prophets are alive in their graves. Okay. Uh, no, but using the principle I've mentioned here. <laughs> yeah, so if they get married again, what's going to happen? They're not going to be with the prophets that allow this. You understand? That's why they are forbidden to get married. Another view is that the woman is given a choice. Is a hadith in Tabarai. Well, we look at Mother Um Salama Radiallahumma, she asked, Ya Rasulullah, if a woman dies and she had many husbands, who did she go through with paradise? And our beloved messenger, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he said to Um Salama Radiallahumma, she is given the choice and she will choose the one with the best character. So that's another report. So some scholars say, it's not the last husband, it's the one with the best character. Have you understood? So there's ikhtilaf. The problem is that hadith is not authentic. <laughs> the hadith has a weakness, but we accept it, we respect that hadith. The hadith which says the last husband is authentic. <laughs> Whatever the case, what does that tell you? But that's why I mentioned this woman at length here, because she was with Amr ibn al-As. But I'm going to add something to it, which your mind is going to find hard to understand at the relevant time. Because don't forget, in whose khalifat did Amr marry her in? He married her in Uthman's khalifat. Keep that in mind. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be well pleased with her and forgive us all for her honorable sake. Amen. So all I mentioned today was a brief on Sayyida Umm Qulthum, the sister of Amir al-Mu'minin Uthman, and eventually how she came into marriage with Amr ibn al-As. The other beautiful thing you notice, the Sahaba, they didn't have this jahiliyyah that was creeping into many of the Muslims who refused to marry widows. Think about that. So a person not married. And if you say to him, look, there's a woman, she's, she's, oh, she's, she's a widow, she's got kids. Why have you brought her to me? That's the response. And the response is, did the Sahaba have that mentality? Did Zubair say, well, she's already been married. She's had kids. Why am I going to get married to her? He married her. Did, Zub- did Abdul Rahman ibn Yaw think, she's been married twice. She's had kids from both her previous husbands. What am I going to get? He got married. And finally, did Amr ibn al-As say, what's happening here? I'm not going to be the fourth. So this is again, Jaidiya. It's the status of the woman you look at. If you're pleased, marry them, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. They deen and their character. Are there any questions you would like to ask? Subhanallah bihamdi, subhanallah humma bihamdi, ka'ashtu la ilaha illa anta astaghfirika atubu alayka wa tibullahi wa shaitanjim. Subhanallah rabbika rabbil izzati wa maisifun. Assalamu alayka wa mursaleen. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Wal-Asr. Inna sallallahu fi khasr. Wa amilu wa amilu salihan. Wa rasim al-haq. Wa rasim al-sabr. Salatullahu alayhi wa sallam.